This Quirocast podcast is brought to you by the book Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree. For too long, people of faith have focused more on pointing out where other religions get it wrong. But what if we decided to focus more on all the ways those other religions get it right? This path might end up leading us into deeper understanding, connection, friendship, and peace. This was the idea behind the book that Choir Publishing and Pathios decided to assemble, gathering voices from different religious backgrounds who have learned to listen to those outside their own faith traditions. We hope that the wisdom they share with us here allows you to become more open to the truth and beauty to be found outside your own faith community. Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, from Choir Publishing and Pathios, available now on Amazon. The mind that was in Jesus, that mind is in me. Without me, life has no meaning. Why would God tell you what I'm thinking and tell you what I've said to my wife or my husband when you're not around? It's because I'm the pastor of the church and I need to know. This is the only place where you can see truth. Before we get started with the case, I have come upon a case in Alabama recently with it that has to do with a missing girl. And I just thought now would be the time to talk about it. So plug it in. we're going to plug it here. If you know something, if you saw something, if you heard something, say something. Exactly. It has nothing to do with religion, but we're plugging no. it because we want to. So get over it. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> plugging it because I just feel like it's, we should do our due diligence whenever we can. So yes. Uh, this person's name is Jacqueline Amber Grimes. She goes by Amber. She's from Winston County, Alabama. And she was picked up from jail on June 1st between the hours of 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. Uh, about 10 hours later, she went missing. So around 10.45 p.m. was the last time she was seen that day. And no one has heard from her. She does keep in contact with her family and uh, I've spoken with her best friend and they keep in contact on the regular. So this is very abnormal for her. There have been a couple of pieces of evidence found, including some hair and blood. But at this time on, we're recording on September 20th, this update, there has not been any results found for who these belong to. Could be Amber. They're being tested. There's just no results that have come back yes, yet, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're still, they've been testing it for the last two months. Uh, it's still like undergoing whatever that process is. Yeah. So, unfortunately, depending on the, the lab, they could be backed up for forever. So definitely. And I don't want to say that law enforcement is a little bit choosy with cases, but she has been known to be in and out of jail. And that could have a negative bearing, which is not fair to her. And we need, yeah. we need justice. We need answers. We need her back at, you know, whatever means possible to get her back. So, um, all that we know is she went missing from a guy named Dave's driveway, but Dave is one of her friends. He's already been okay. cleared. He is not a suspect. But the last time she was seen, I think, was caught on a ring doorbell. Gotcha. And she was um, struggling with drug addiction, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So she is a family friend, Amber is. And some of my family that unfortunately, you know, deal with the disease of addiction, 
she yeah. was running in the same circles with them. And so, you know, it it's not the first time that she's gone missing. But, you know, often with addiction, some people will go missing for two or three days at a time. Um, yeah. Seeking out product that they need. And then they resurface and everything's fine. Yeah, but, but it's usually never longer than no, this a few has been days. over a hundred days and yeah. no contact with anybody is very abnormal. So this is a serious situation and she's got family and friends and all of us here with Deadly Faith community that really care. And yes. so if you know something, please reach out to um Winston County. Uh, Alabama Sheriff's Office, and that phone number is 205-489-2115. And we'll link it. Put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll link everything. Her missing persons profile, we will also link in the show notes. So if you want to look there so you can see her face uh, and read up on anything that's public about her case, you can. But yes, that is all. Do we, do we know, do we know if she was, if they are choosing to not come, like, if the police are neglecting the case because she was struggling with drug addiction? I can't say that they are or aren't. Uh, I will say that from what her friend had told me, they have two or three different law enforcement agencies that are currently working the case. So there's... Not a whole lot of traction, but they do have information that they're working with. They have some evidence that they're trying to, you know, figure out. And they haven't shared all that with the family. They they haven't right. shared like what all evidence they have. The only thing they know is about the blood and the hair that's being tested and who all was last speaking with her through social media. Gotcha. And we will keep up to date with this case and we'll give you guys updates as time goes on. And if more, you know, noise needs to be made and more attention needs to be brought for her name or for movement to be made in the case, uh, then we will do that when we need to or give updates when we find them out. So thank you guys for your help. On to the show. Hey, heathens, you're listening to the Deadly Faith Podcast where religion and crime collide. I'm Lacey. And I'm Lola. And this shit is frightening hello oh. everyone cue the welcome. spooky music yes welcome cue to all the halloween music. season oh my gosh i'm so excited i'm the not pumpkins, excited to, yeah the I'm, I'm excited because we are talking about serial killers i'm not excited because i like serial killers i am just what is the word interested mm in their makeup and like what makes somebody a serial killer and all the things and like diving into their background and their history. And it is... We love yeah, to learn. That's what we're saying. Yeah, we just there you love go. to learn. I, like I need new words because I'm like, I'm not excited about them. It's, that's weird. I know. <laughs> it's the whole true crime, like weird. I wanted to say diabolical and that's not... No, dichotomy. Dichotomy. dichotomy is what yes, the dichotomy. It's the true crime dichotomy of like... Yes. It's educational and like it's separate from entertainment. But at the same time, it it's entertainment. entertaining. Yeah. Especially we can... When we can like roast these motherfuckers, like, come on. It's super fun. Like there are going to be moments in this case today that we are going to laugh our asses off uh, because... This guy is just so fucking stupid sometimes. And I just, 
Really? I want to laugh. I haven't laughed today very much. Let's laugh. We 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 are going to laugh. I laughed today very hard. And I'm going to fill you guys in on the story because I thought it was hilarious. And we will oh, give you some yes. lightheartedness before we jump into uh, the world of... Uh, the pre-palate cleanser. Yeah, let's give you a pre-palate cleanser. So I went to my podiatrist. Podiatrist. Potato podiatrist. Podiatrist. I went to my podiatrist today because I've got some shit going on with my big toes. I have ingrown toenails and I've had them my whole life. Thanks, mom and dad. And so I finally went and saw my podiatrist and he was like, yeah, we can take care of that. And so I had the ingrown toenail surgery where they take out like the two sections of your big toe, uh, like on the left and the right, they leave leave the middle. So you still have a toenail. So (laughs) he numbs me up and everything. And then he wraps it and he's like, all right, well, we're going to give that like 15 minutes and we're going to let that numb up. um, And then I'll be right back. But as that's numbing up, I'm just going to go watch TikTok and learn how to do this procedure. And then just like (laughs) walks out of the room. And he said it with the straightest face, no laughing, like no smirk, nothing. And I started laughing so hard. And then the nurse walks in, which is like just a perfect twin of uh, Leslie Jordan, the actor, rest in peace, Leslie Jordan, we love you. But he walked in and he was like... He's so full of shit. <laughs> Just laughing even harder. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. It was the best moment. It, it definitely... uh like made me feel better in the moment because I was not expecting to get my toe cut open today. But, you know, shit happens. That's such an office, like, type of interaction. Uh, yeah. It's like it, Dwight saying something with a straight face and then yes. walking away. And then Jim <laughs> looking at the camera and through his eyes saying, he's so full of shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, what a nice palate cleanser. Pre, whatever. Pre palate cleanser. Do you have one left for everybody? I don't know why I went like six octaves higher. I don't remember half of my day. I yeah. <laughs> dissociated today, <laughs> to be honest. Has it been one of those days? <sighs> it's been one of those <laughs> weeks for me. I am just ready to be in full Halloween mode. I'm so fucking sick of it being hot. Yes. I am tired of having to cut my grass. I'm tired of everything in the whole world. Yeah. Except... My loved ones. And, and her doggies. Doggies. She's my loved one. She's my loved oh, yeah, one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's my dogder. She's Sameless. She's everything. She looks just like me, white and anxious, but <laughs> she's my biological dogder. Yeah, dogder. Dogder. Oh, my God. I love that. I love it. When I worked in an office, I actually walked up to someone with a picture, like, pressed to my chest, and I was like do you want to see my daughter? And they were like, oh, I didn't know you had a child. I was like, yes, she's three. And then I turned the picture around and it's Waya. And they were like, oh, funny. Oh. And I was like, doesn't she look just like me, white and anxious? And they were like, oh, she's so serious right now. She's so fucking crazy. <laughs> You're like, this bitch isn't joking. No, no, I get that. It's so freaking hot even here. Well, I live in the South, so it's always hot. But But Tennessee always gets colder before Alabama does. That's the thing. It does. It's not as hot as like Texas. Like my parents, I talk to them and every time I talk to them, they're like, what is the temperature? And I'm like, 85. (laughs) And they're like, fuck you. I hate you. (laughs) Because it's like 100 there. Is that their average? Yeah, their average has been like over 100. Yeah, there's just, it's, you know, West Texas. That's dangerous. 
hot as fucking balls, man. Like, don't talk to me about global warming. And no, it's real. No, serious, serious. Oh, Actually, do percent. talk to me about it. That do. I know. Let's right? Talk about let's, it more. Let's, let's talk about it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we have a lot to talk about today. We're getting into this case, so I'm just going to jump right in because okay. BTK was Jesus. He was a shit show, and. So were his murders. So the way I'm telling the story, if you're not familiar with the BTK case, then you're in for some surprises. I'm going to be telling the story or this case. I'm going to be telling it in the order of the way things happen. So basically like how the cops were finding out information. But I will go back once we find out who the murderer is and I will fill you in on kind of his perspective and what he was thinking with each case. Okay, so let's get right in. On the afternoon of January 15th of 1974 in Wichita, Kansas, two teen boys arrived home after school, but as they approached their home, they quickly noticed that something wasn't right. So their garage door was up, up, up. (laughs) Their garage door was up. (laughs) The car was gone um, and the dog was in the backyard and the back door was unlocked. So most of the time the dog was inside. So that was weird for them as well. So they go inside the front door and they called for their parents, but they were getting no response. They expected both of their parents, mom and dad, to both be home at this time. Plus their younger siblings, I think, were also supposed to be home at this time, a boy and a girl. And they're getting no response. The dad would have been home around this time because he had just gotten into a car accident and he was still recovering. So he was not working. Now, as they walk into the house, they find their mom's purse laying on the living room floor and its contents poured out everywhere. In the kitchen, uh, they find their dad's wallet and their little sister's purse with their contents also poured out. I'm scared. Now the boys, no. And so are the boys. They are starting to get scared. And so they run to their parents' room and they find both of their parents, mom and dad, both tied up dead. But the boys (gasps) didn't realize that the parents were dead. They thought that the, they thought the parents were playing a joke on them. Oh, stop. So they're trying to arouse their parents. And around this time, their oldest brother, Charlie, arrives home. And he hears his brother screaming. And one of them tells him that, you know, the parents are playing a bad joke on them. So Charlie runs to the parents' room. And right away, he knows that this isn't a joke. He was, you know, old enough to be like, holy shit, something serious has happened. And he knew right away his parents had been murdered. And How old was the oldest I think he was around like 14 to 16 was something okay. around there. And then or I think probably closer to 16. And I think the other two teen boys were probably like around the 13 year mark. So, okay. Okay. So Charlie then runs to the kitchen to get a knife because he was scared that the intruder and the killer could still be in the mm-hmm. home. And then he grabbed the phone to call the cops. But when he picked up the phone, there was no dial tone. So, oh my God, for the youngins who are listening to this case, a dial tone and a phone <laughs> that, with no light on it. <laughs> there are there are these old ancient things we had called home phones. <laughs> and, yeah. Exactly. And so they were they're literally phones that were tied to a line in your home. And so it was not a cell phone you could carry everywhere. Um everybody that is like over How the is age this of a like, conversation? Know, like Twenty right now is hysterically laughing, and everybody under that's like, "What? That was real." <laughs> so <laughs> that's so nineties, very, very nineties, and before. So he, uh, Charlie then runs across uh, the street, and he gets one of the 
the neighbors to call the cops. One of those things. Um, <laughs> when the when the police arrive, they are shocked at the scene that they find. As they are questioning the boys, they find out that they have two younger siblings, 11-year-old Josie and 9-year-old Joey, and the boys didn't know where they were. Now, they could have been left at school. So they're thinking like if the parents are dead already, the kids could still be at their elementary school and they just need to be go, you know, gone and gone, picked up. Mm -hmm. I think from my research, I think what happened is they sent an officer over to the schools to try to find the kids. While at the same time, more officers were searching the home. And I think it kind of happened simultaneously where the officers at the school realized that Joey and Josie had never been to school while the officers at the home ended up discovering their dead bodies in the home. Okay. They find Joey deceased in his bed with two shirts and a bag over his head. And then they find Josie um, hanging by a hangman's noose from a sewer pipe with her underwear pulled down to her ankles <gasps> and her bra cut from the front in the basement. Oh my God. This was horrifying for every single investigator, person in this area, the news people. Everybody was just shocked at this was a family massacre almost. Almost the entire family, four people had been murdered. Yeah. Now, all the autopsies of the Otero, Otero, Otero family revealed that each of them had died from asphyxiation due to manual strangulation, except for the young boy. So he was suffocated due to the bags and shirts over his head. All of the others were, you know, manually strangled. The coroner also found that the faces of each victim were bloated and swollen, telling them that the killer had strangled them close to death, but then released them so they caught their breath and then he strangled them again. Oh my also, God. Yeah, very sadistic. In the boys' room, an investigator found chair impressions by the boys' bed meaning that the killer had placed the shirt and bag over Joey's head and then pulled up a chair and watched him suffocate to death. What? This, this fact <sighs> haunted, as horrified as you are hearing that, they mm -mm. were absolutely horrified, like, discovering this because this meant that the killer enjoyed watching the harm and the death of humans. This wasn't something that was screaming a revenge murder. Like, it could still be a revenge murder, but at the same time, like... We've reached this a is new somebody level, though. very sadistic. Yeah, very much deeper. So, the autopsy also showed that Julie, the mom, had been beaten before she died, and that Joe, the father, had markings on his hands showing he had fought back to free himself from his restraints. Now, the lab also revealed that there was semen found on Josie, the... 11-year-old. Uh, no, no. It was found on her thigh and on the ground near her body, but in a surprising turn of events, it was revealed that no one in the home had been raped or like any kind of penetration at all whatsoever. Okay. So they found semen, but they didn't, there was no actual physical sexual assault. Does that make sense? Yes. It's just Ooh, that's it's, disturbing. Either it's, way, it's, that's so disturbing. Ex exactly. So what this told them was that the killer was getting some kind of sexual gratification from the murders, but was most likely masturbating instead of raping his victims. 
As they're investigating, they were getting some conflicting reports. One neighbor said that it was a tall, slender white man wearing a long coat, and he saw this man by the Oterra house <laughs> at 8.45 a.m. So like, That's also, like the, the, the quintessential bad man with the trench coat. Also, like you've taken nobody off the list, basically. Like, that's not super helpful. But also another witness said that they saw a much shorter man, maybe five foot two, who had bushy black hair and a dark complexion. One of the witnesses also said that they saw a dark-haired man driving the Otero car at 10.40 a.m. Now, police make a statement that they think that the killer might be Middle Eastern, I'm not exactly sure where they got this, but they did have the witnesses like help them, you know, have the sketch artist draw something. Yeah. And it, the sketch artist drew um, a suspect that looked very Hispanic. And basically oh. it looks like Mr. Otero with just a thin mustache. And so they were like, the- that's not. <laughs> I think what the fuck? <laughs> it was not, it was not helping. I think people were confused. It's difficult with witness it is, uh, it really testimony, is. especially when it's a bunch of different people, a bunch of different time frames. Yes. Like it's just not. <laughs> and if you're, if you ha- are like into true crime, you know a lot, and you've listened to a lot of true crime cases, you will know that a an eyewitness is not as rock solid of evidence as you would think it would be. Because I have heard of so many cases having eyewitnesses for X, Y, and Z, but then they have actual physical evidence like surveillance video that completely goes against what the eyewitness is saying. And so you're like, the eyewitness has to be wrong because you can't, you can't come against video proof, you know? So like uh, Ashton and Elena say, it's a hot dog in a trench coat, basically. <laughs> <laughs> now... The police did find the Otero car parked at Dylan's grocery store half a mile away and the position of the seat pointed to it being a shorter driver. Now, as police are investigating this case, they find a mixture of knots used by the killers. They're killer, not killers, killer. There was clove knots, uh, clove hitch knots, slip knots, half hitch knots, blood knots, which I'm not exactly sure what that is, but also more knots. So this made them theorize that maybe the killer could be a sailor. You know, they have nothing to go off of, so Hmm. they're just, you know, throwing out theories any which way they can. Unfortunately, (laughs) crazy, they lost most of the autopsy and and crime scene photos from the case. Uh, Not exactly sure how, but they lost them. They only had a few from each, each, you know, autopsy and crime scene. Uh, to go off of. And so they were still trying to examine what little they had left. But as they were examining the photos they did have, they noticed that there was an ice tray in the kitchen in one of the photos that actually still had ice in it. Now, this was alarming to investigators because the murders happened earlier in the day based off of the eyewitness saying that the car left the home around 10.50 a.m. And then the killer uh, also had turned up the heat in the home before leaving. But the crime scene photos weren't taken until late afternoon, early evening. So how could there be ice in the ice tray that was surviving that many hours in heat? Why? Okay, I don't know why I'm stuck on this. Why did he turn up the heat? I'm confused. So we find out later on, he turned up the heat because he was trying to disguise the time of death. Because if you turn up the heat, it... It It decomposes uh, them quicker. Yes, it speeds up decomposition. Okay. Yeah. So... Interesting. Um, <laughs> Smart person. Yeah. Gross. But 
the ice, uh, they find out that one of the police officers or investigators had made himself a drink and taken ice out of the Otero family's fucking freezer. Imagine having to admit to that. (laughs) What in the that's not protocol bullshit is that? Come on. I I, I can't imagine the faces on the investigators. They're like, you did what? Imagine the reports had, that had idiot. to be written up. Just all the paperwork, just the for paperwork. making yourself a drink. Fucking ice cubes. Go to the gas station, goddammit. Oh, my Didn't gosh. someone, like, see him do it and be like, uh, don't? I don't think so. I don't think <sighs> so. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because because nobody was killed in the kitchen. And so everyone's probably in all the other rooms doing the work. And he's like, I'm going to get me a cold glass of lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> no one noticed that drink with the ice. That, I'm sorry. And him just standing know. there holding it. Like, I don't. That's what I'm thinking. Like, you just walk in there like, hey, guys, you got everything set up? You got the caution tape? Where's the chalk? You know? Oh, man. Now, unfortunately, the uh, investigators have no direction, no suspects, and no leads. The police even hired a psychic, but nothing came from it. No, you have to know. They got to be some desperate people. They hire in a psychic, um, but they were, and nothing came from it. Because if you hire a psychic, that psychic is probably not a psychic. I, exactly. That's what most, I'm saying. Like most uh, clairvoyants are not charging for spiritual practice. Just gonna say that. I'm real saying, quick. Mm-hmm, like I know what I'm talking about, but I really don't like at all. Whatsoever. I mean. <laughs> Mysticism is a whole other thing and like... It really, it really is. You know, I like, clairvoyance. Yeah, okay, I'm not even going to get on a tangent. We got too we, much We to can't get today. into it now. We, we can't, can't. We can't. We have we to can't. stay on BTK. All right, go yes. on. Yes. Now, they did have multiple press conferences a day sharing theories, findings, and more. There was news coverage on news coverage about this every day. And even with this, the police were still coming up dry. Again, no direction, no suspects, no leads. Now... Uh, Josie and Joey were model students. Uh, Julie and Joe, the mom and dad, had just taken out a $16,850 mortgage on their junior ranch-style home and had only actually lived in this neighborhood for a few weeks before their murders. Yes, I did the calculation. So $16,850 in 1973 would be the equivalent to... No, no, not that much. A hundred and eight thousand two hundred and forty seven hundred. Hundred and eight thousand two hundred and forty seven dollars and thirty nine cents. So that's still a big job. On the dot. But okay. On the dot. Now all they have to go off of, um, or not really go off of, but they only can do theories. And so they had um a theory that maybe the wife was cheating on the husband and it was a jealous boyfriend. Again, I would not have leaned to this theory because the person who, like, they found the semen on was Josie, the child. So, like, that doesn't really track with me. But also, people are crazy. So, okay. Uh, They thought maybe an overseas drug deal. This was a family (laughs) of color. So, I'm like, hmm. That's kind of racist that you thought that, but okay, whatever. That's super racist. Super fucking racist. Um, And they had this theory, even though no drugs were found in the home. Literally, I think the only thing they found in the home of drugs was fucking aspirin. Wow. But even with that, they still put time and money into searching this out and even went to fucking Panama and Puerto Rico, but da, 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 no evidence came of it. 
literally nothing. Why are you wasting the taxpayer money? Literally, there was nothing to point them in this direction, but they, the color of their skin, I can't, I can't help but believe that that was what pushed them to believe this. Now, I agree. I see. Thank you. The only thing missing in the home was Joey, the nine-year-old's radio, a set of keys and Joe's watch. Now, I want you to remember. Yes. And the car. Um, I think they did find the car. Yeah, they did find the car later on. I had said that earlier. They found it in a Dylan's grocery store a half a mile away from the house. Yeah. Now we're going to move on because they have no leads and nothing. Okay. So we're going to go to Catherine Bright's murder. Uh, Just a few months after the Otero family murders on April 4th, 1974, at 2 p.m., Catherine Bright and her brother Kevin walked into her home only to be met by a gunman waiting for them. The man said that he was wanted in California and that he needed a car and some money. He was just going to tie them up, but told them he wouldn't hurt them. He just needed them to get tied up long enough for him to like get the keys and get away in the car before they called the cops. So the man makes Kevin, the brother, uh, tie her, the sister, up. He then takes Kevin into another room, but when the man went to tie up Kevin, Kevin fought back and almost got the gun away from the killer. But unfortunately, the killer was able to hold on to the gun and the killer then shoots Kevin in the head two times. Thinking that Kevin was dead, the killer then goes to the room that Catherine is tied up in. Um, but as he goes in there, he hears the front door open and he realizes that, holy shit, Kevin is not dead. And not only is he not dead, he has now escaped the house. Oh my so God. So he turns to Catherine and Go he Kevin. just starts stabbing her in the stomach. <gasps> and then he leaves. What? So Where's yeah. the knife? You had a gun. What is this? He had he had a gun, but he just took a knife and was stabbing her in the stomach and then he left. Why? Now, Kevin stumbles outside and he ends up finding some bystanders to help him. Police arrive quickly and they take Catherine to the hospital, but unfortunately, she succumbs to her injuries not too long after that. No. Kevin actually survived. Two oh fucking gunshots to the head. This man survived. This is my man. I know. I love you. I he's love still, you, Kevin. I'm pretty sure he's still alive to this day, actually. Kevin, can I shake your hand? Kevin! I love you. I love the name Kevin. Home alone, anyone? That's my dad's name. Kevin! Hi, Kevin! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't listen it. to podcasts. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you can tell him I said hi. <laughs> I will. <laughs> so, <laughs> well... Kevin, uh, Kevin Bright was able to give the police a description of the killer, but it didn't yes. seem to generate any viable leads. So, dang it. In hindsight, again, because we are, I'm talking about BTK, we know that these murders are connected, but at the time, police weren't sure they were connected to the Otero family because, again, she stabbed. Like, yes, they were both tied up, but she was stabbed. So they were like, maybe they're related, but they couldn't like officially link them. Gotcha. Later that year, in October, a man confesses that him and two of his friends had killed the Otero family. But in a strange turn of events, a Wichita Eagle editor gets a random call from an anonymous man telling him to go look inside an electrical engineering book at the local library for information on the Otero murders. What a random place. Yes. 
So I think, I think what happened is they went to the police and were like, Hey, we got this strange call. So the police went to the library, retrieved the book and inside there was a note that the caller was referencing. Now, as the police are reading this letter, they are finding information about the case that only the killer would know, information that hadn't been released to the public. So the letter only mentions the Otero murders. It didn't actually mention anything about Catherine and her brother, Kevin. It left that out. So it was just him claiming ownership of the Otero family murders. Now, this isn't the full letter, but I am going to read a little bit of it. And I'm going to read it as it is written. So if I sound weird, I sound weird on purpose because that's how it's written, okay? I'm ready. I write this letter to you for the sake of the taxpayer as well as your time. Those three dude you have in custody are just talking to get publicity for the Otera murders. They know nothing at all. I did it by myself and with no one's help. There has been no talk either. Let's put this straight. I'm sorry this happened to society. They are the ones who suffer the most. It had, it's it hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang up. When this monster enter my brain, I will never know, but it has to stay. How does one cure himself? If you ask for help that you have killed four people, they will laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it so the monster goes on and hurt me as well as society. Society can be thankful that there are ways for people like me to relieve myself at time by daydreams and some victims being torture and being mine. In a big, complicated game, my friend of the monster play putting victims numbered down, follow them, checking up on them, waiting in the dark, waiting, waiting, The pressure is great and sometimes he ran the game to his liking. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. He has already chosen his next victim or victims. I don't know. I don't, I don't who they are yet. The next day after I read the paper, I will know, but it too late. Good luck hunting. Yours truly guilty. P.S. Since crime criminals do not change their M.O. or by nature cannot do so, I will not change mine. The code words for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them. BTK. You see he at it again. They will be on the next victim. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he wrote this like with grammar errors on purpose to sound stupid. But maybe. Yeah. So that Lola is how he got the name BTK. He named himself. The (sighs) arrogant fuck named himself. That's (laughs) right. I mean, talk about taking your power back, right? If you feel like you've been victimized. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Okay. All right. Mm. So, police asked the Wichita Eagle, this is the newspaper, if you guys didn't catch on that, um, to not talk about it. They didn't want the public to know there could possibly be a serial killer on the loose. Now, the Wichita Eagle actually complied with the police on this and they never mentioned anything about this letter. And well, the how police kind of them? didn't talk about it. Yeah, I know. They actually like went with the police, which I've heard a lot of times newspapers are like, fuck it, we're still going to talk about it. Because they have nothing half the time. They just have to make up shit or like glamorize shit. Exactly. Okay, so that was October of that year. Now, the next year in 1977, on March 17th, Six-year-old Stephen Ralford was sent to the store to buy his mom a can of soup since she didn't feel good. 
Now, on his way home, he was approached by a man who showed him a picture of a woman and asked if he knew her. The boy said no, and then the boy went into his home. Fifteen minutes later, the boy heard a knock at the door, and when he went to get it, that same man was there, and he pushed his way into their home. The man turned off the TV, pulled the window blinds down, and put Stephen and his two siblings, Stephen was the oldest at six, in their bathroom, and he blocked the door so they couldn't get out. Stephen could see out of the door a little bit. There was like a crack. And so he could see out and he was able to see straight into his mom's room. Now his mom was freaking out and the killer calmed her down and told her that he wasn't going to assault her. He, and you know, he just needed to do what he was going to do. I think he probably did the whole, like, I just need money or I'm a convict okay. Same or spill. runaway. Same spill. And he used that a gotcha. lot. Now he even like got her some water and smoked a cigarette cigarette with her to calm her down. And he even got her to get the kids to stop screaming. And she told them that everything was going to be okay. Now, Stephen saw BTK tape his mom's hands and feet behind her back, put a bag on her head and a rope around her neck. He then laid her face down on the bed. A little while later, he sees the intruder leave. Now, Stephen rammed the door over and over again until there was a hole in it large enough for him to escape. He ran to his oh mother's room God. and he finds her dead. He is six years old. Okay, to ram a hole in the door? I know. Oh, and my like, God. Like, this, this is in the 70s. Those doors are those doors are not shit. No joke. No Dude, joke. I, I have like 50s, 1950s doors in my house. Those are solid yeah, solid pieces of wood, man. And he broke through it and he's six years old and just like freshly six. He had just turned six not too long before this. Mm. No, I hate this. When the police arrive at the scene, they quickly notice some alarming similarities between the Otero murders and Shirley's based off of her being tied up, the knots and bindings being similar, her being strangled and them finding semen beside her. But again, no signs of being raped. So there was a lot of similarities adding up between the two. But again, no leads, no nothing. Like they're not making any headway with each of these murders. Now on later that same year, on December 8th, 1977, Nancy Fox arrives home, but when she went inside, an intruder jumped out at her and held her at gunpoint. He told her he had a sexual issue and to get rid of it, he would have to tie her up and assault her. Oh my God. He had her undress herself in her bathroom and then came out into the bedroom. The intruder then tied up Nancy and undressed himself. Then he started to strangle Nancy until she died. Later oh on, God. the police end up finding semen on her nightgown, but again, no evidence of physical sexual abuse. The day after Nancy's murder, the police get a phone call from a payphone. And that was from the killer himself that said, yes, you will find a homicide at 843 South Pershing, Nancy Fox. BTK literally called the police. This arrogant son of a bitch. <laughs> Dude, this man is so fucking arrogant and it just gets, like, his arrogance just gets even worse. Like, I mean, it's insane. And also, I would rather, if you're, if you're gonna do this kind of thing, I would rather you just not call me and not appeal to my humanity saying, I just need this. I just, if you're a bad person, just say it. Just say it. <laughs> just tell me, right? Ugh. Now, 
he, the police, of course, get this call. They rush to Nancy's house and they find her strangled to death. And mm-hmm. we know that these cases are linked, but the police, I think they were able to connect this one at the time because again, strangled, they got the mysterious phone call. And I think that, yeah, like I said earlier, they found semen on her nightgown. So they were able to link this one. But BTK is out there and he thinks he's smarter than the police. He's written them letters. He's called them to notify them about a murder. And he even had adult and children see his face. And yet he's still walking out in the world free as a jaybird. He must be very unremarkable looking. He really is. He's, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if, I don't, douche, if douche canoe had a name, had a like face. Can I ask, does he look like a frat boy grown no, up? No, okay. no, not at all. I don't know. I don't know. I just he, feel like frat boys all look the same. <laughs> he looks like a 1980s dad. Does he really? I'm not fucking kidding. I can't wait to see these pictures after you're, this. Yeah, you're, don't mm-hmm. look yet. Now, on January 31st, 1978, uh, BTK sends the Wichita Eagle a poem stamped on an index card titled, Shirley Locks, Shirley Locks, Wilt Thou Be Mine? Oh, my God. This was referencing the murder of Shirley Vine Relford, Stephen, the six-year-old's mom. But the mail clerk at the paper thought that it was a Valentine's card. Because, oh, like, it's literally no. end of January. So she just sent it to the classified department and was just like, whatever. And it got ignored. Oh, so man. BTK was very upset that his letter didn't get any recognition, his little oh, sweet poem. <laughs> so he decides to send a two-page letter uh, to the Wichita K-A-K-E TV. So I'm going to call it Cake TV. That's what everyone in the area calls it. Uh, this guy called it is very writer forward. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, very much so. So on, he writes this uh, two-page letter on February 10th, 1978. In this letter, he includes enough detail for everyone who reads it to know it was coming directly from the killer himself. He also writes in this letter, how many people do I have to kill before I get my name in the paper or some national attention? <sighs> like I said, his arrogance. Wow, Yeah. But because they've been able to connect multiple murders to him, he's making all of this, you know, attention and writing these letters to the news and to the police and to the uh, newspaper. This is when the police chief decided it was time to announce that they had a serial killer on the loose in Wichita, Kansas. The whole town was terrified, especially women. Who was next? Who could the killer be? For the longest time, this town felt like a safe place to live, to raise a family, like everyone loved this place. But over the last handful of years and all of these murders, it had made people start to feel uneasy. And now with the police's new announcement, that uneasiness has now turned into full-blown terror for the entire town. Question, did they think that the, uh, I guess, announcement was going to pacify him for a little bit so that they could like catch up? A bit? Or no, they just I, want to alert I the think, public in general? I think they felt their hand was pushed and they they had no leads. They were nowhere close to catching him. And so oh. the best thing they could do is notify the public so they could be on guard. You know, ramp up security in their home. You know, be vigilant when they're out and about. Things like that. Gotcha. 
1978, uh, I think it was later that year after they made the announcement, uh, the police are trying everything they can to find some kind of lead. And so they are trying, they decide they're going to analyze all the letters and stuff that BTK had sent. And unfortunately, they found not one fingerprint, not one fiber, not one hair, nothing. But they decide to call Xerox and try to track down the paper copies the copy of the letter had come from. So it wasn't a letter that he had written or typed up. He had actually like typed it up and then like made a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy and then sent that in. Oh, okay. So it was more of like degraded, if that makes sense. Like faded, I guess. Now, I don't know how the fuck they did this, but they were able to track down the machine that the paper copies were made on. And they tracked it to uh, the basement copy machine at Wichita State University. They don't know this at the time, but this is literally the closest they are going to come to catching BTK for many fucking years. Literally, this oh is the closest. Now, on April 28th of 1979, a 63-year-old woman named Anna Williams got home and found a plastic-coated wire in her room, and she found that her phone lines had been cut. She immediately ran out of the house and called the police. It was well known that BTK would cut people's phone lines prior to attacking, so it had become very normal for people to check their phones the moment they walked into their homes. So... She, when she called the police, the police came and did an investigation around her house and they found that jewelry, scarves, coins, underwear, rope, and wire were all missing from her home. Now, a few months later, creepy as fuck, Anna receives a package in the mail with a poem titled, Oh, Anna, Why Didn't You Appear? In the package was a scarf and a few other items that had belonged to her. This was the moment she knew for a fact that she had been a target of the BTK serial killer. I would sell my house and leave that day. Uh, I I wouldn't even sell my home. I'd be like, that might take it off my hands. I'm leaving. You you couldn't stop me. You couldn't Mm -mm. stop me. I'd be Mm -mm. changing my name that same day. Yep. Burning off my (laughs) fingerprints. Uh, Right? Starting over. Fucking hands and ass and shit. Uh, In 1984, the Wichita police made a task force to catch BTK. They didn't think he had just disappeared. Now, he had gone. So his his last killing was December of 1977. And so it had been four, five, seven, eight years, maybe almost eight years at this time. And some people had thought that he had just kind of either moved away Mm -hmm. or he was in jail for another crime. But it had been a long period of time before since his last kill. But they didn't think that, so they're like, we're making a a task force. And they called this task force Ghostbusters. (laughs) They did not. They did. I mean, not fucking That's not a joke? Oh my God. It's not a joke. They called this task force the (laughs) Ghostbusters. I I loved it. I was like, that's awesome. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, these Ghostbusters... (laughs) <laughs> that was so good. I, I, I got I got to do it every time. <laughs> right, okay. that was so good. Uh, unfortunately, these Ghostbusters, uh, Busters, were not as good as the ones in the movie because okay. they didn't they didn't catch him for a still a long time. Now, unfortunately, 
his cooling off period uh, was coming to an end. On April 28th, 1985, Maureen Hedge didn't show up to work her shift at a local coffee shop. This was not like her. And so they ended up filing a missing persons report. I think she lived by herself. She was a yeah, a mm. single woman. So I'm assuming that they had went and checked her home, but she wasn't there and her car was missing. Now, days later, they find her car with a bedspread in the trunk and her purse in the car, but her ID is missing. Three days later, on May 5th, 1985, they found Marine's body dumped in a ditch not too far from her neighborhood. This area was a common ditch where people would dump dead dogs. What? I, I know. Don't I do know. that to him. Give him a nice you know, burial. Bury, just bury him. I know. Like, just dig it's a super easy. Hole. It's just, a dog. It's not that big. Like, do you know how to dig a hole? hole? Do it. Seriously. Are you stupid? <laughs> and like, why Why was this a common area to dump dogs? I put that, what? <sighs> now, Maureen's body was nude and there was a pair of pantyhose and knots next to her body. The autopsy revealed that she had died from strangulation and during the investigation, police noticed her full line had been cut as well. Now, they weren't sure that this was BTK because now her body was found outside the home. BTK See, yeah. had never done that before. So they're like, there's no commonalities. Or there are very little commonalities. So no leads, like always. They're not making any headway with this murder, just like the others. Yeah. Now, on September 16th at 10 a.m., a man dressed as a telephone worker knocked on 28-year-old Vicki Waverly's home. He said he was there to work on the phone, so she let him in. As he tinkered with the phone a bit, Vicky started to get increasingly nervous. But before she could get him out of her home, he cut the phone line, took out a gun, and forced oh my her God. into her bedroom. As he was trying to tie her up, she fought back and left cuts and scratches on the killer. Good. As you she, always fight back. Always. It, I know. Always. Always fight back. Scratch them. Get it under your fingernails. Bite them. Yeah, minimum. It at least gets their DNA under your fingernails. Minimum. You might be able to get away, but at least minimum, you have DNA. If you're going to go out, go out fighting every time. Yes. A to the man. Now, as she was fighting back, the killer pulled out a rope and choked her forcefully, strangled her until she died. The killer then took her car and as he was driving away, Vicky's husband was coming home from lunch when he passed BTK driving his wife's car. The husband saw BTK driving his wife's car. Oh my God. But it was so quick. He didn't get like a good look at BTK. Uh, he just like somebody was driving his wife's car. Of course you would. Now when he gets Great. home, he finds his two-year-old in the living room and his wife in the bedroom dead. When police arrived and started investigating, they didn't rule out BTK, but they also heavily looked at the husband as a suspect. Of course you would. Of course. Which, you know, granted... You like, can't blame they, them, really. You can't blame them. They have to. But, like, can you imagine being the husband? Tale as old as time. Yeah. Uh, I feel bad for him. I'm sorry. The child was alive? Yeah. Okay, the child was alive. Two-year-old. What a... Sitting in the living room. Th this is odd to me. Killing other kids. I mean, maybe not as young as this one. Yeah. I'm just, I'm having a disconnect there. I I have a theory and I will I literally end this entire case on that theory. So oh, I'll okay. get to it. 
Okay. Now, uh, BTK takes his second cooling off period, and this one lasts five years. But oh, nice. Again. Good vacation. He's not, he's not done. On January 20th, 1991, 62-year-old Dolores Davis was found missing from her home. Her boyfriend came by to check on her because he couldn't get a hold of her. And when he arrived, he found her back sliding door shattered and Dolores nowhere to be found. He filed a missing persons report. And when police came to investigate, they found nothing. No fingerprints, no blood, no leads, literally nothing. Then on February 1st, Dolores' body was found under a bridge in Sedgwick County by a 15-year-old who was just out walking his dog. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. innocent lost. I, I can't, can't even imagine. Her body was bloated, but I think they did find out that she was strangled to death. They could see markings. There were thoughts that Dolores and all the other murders were done by BTK, but there were such large gaps of time and so many differences amongst all the murders. They couldn't know for sure what was and wasn't related. And remember, BTK hasn't claimed all of these murders through his letters. The public only knows about seven and we've covered 10 murders up until this point. Oh, yeah. At this time, BTK stops killing. Dolores was his last murder and he also stops communicating with Wichita Eagle and Kate TB, leaving the BTK murders to turn cold. What you doing, that BTK? Is, What's happening? Uh, and that is until 2004. Great. Love On, that. January 15th, 2004, it was the 30th year anniversary of the Otero family murders. And the newspaper headline read, after 30 years, BTK remains unsolved. In the article, it said that an attorney was actually writing a book about BTK and his seven victims. Now, when BTK read this, he was like, oh, uh-huh. yeah, fuck no. There was more than that. (laughs) Um, He wanted to be the one to tell his story. And he didn't like that the public didn't know about all 10 murders. He was like, if I'm going to get recognition, let me get recognition for everything. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. So. It's screaming tiny dick. It's screaming (laughs) no scrotum. It's yelling. It's yelling, really. Mommy right? issues, like mm-hmm. daddy issues. Ah. Yeah. Keep that in mind. It, it gets, gets interesting. Well, okay. on March 19th, 2004, Wichita Eagle received a letter from a Bill Thomas Kilman. <laughs> that was the letter was okay. made out yeah, from. And of course, the initials are Creative. BTK. There, that's so creative. <laughs> Inside was a photocopy of Vicki Wigley's driver's license and pictures of her dead body. And the letter was signed BTK. It was basically his way of being like, I'm not gone, motherfucker. And being able to claim another murder that he wasn't. It's like the Halloween for. movies. Right? Never quite gone. <laughs> never, never quite gone. Like there's this shirt of you somewhere. Now, this was a terrifying realization that BTK, again, wasn't gone as what a lot of people had thought. Everyone at this point had thought BTK had probably died or was in jail. No, no, this letter proved everybody wrong and led many to believe he was not only alive and well, but living amongst them in their own fucking community. 
I need to know this guy's day job. <laughs> oh, God, it's... Oh. So we'll get to that. In May 2004, another task force was set up with the FBI and local law enforcement. They were set on finding the killer. Like they needed to identify BTK. Now, this task force whole goal was to just keep BTK talking, like in the media, sending letters, because they knew he was arrogant and cocky and they were hoping that that would kind of lead him to trip himself up and then they'd be able to catch him. That was their hope. So a few months later, another news uh, news facility got a letter from BTK. I think this was not a different one, but Cake TV. In this uh, letter was a chapter outline for a BTK biography. He literally <laughs> was telling them, this is how I want you to write my story. What the fuck? There was also like a word search type puzzle. It like, that's the closest I can like explain it to was kind of like a word search puzzle. And later on, after he's caught, you realize that like his own address is in this word search puzzle. But you, it was one of those things you'd have to know what you're looking for to, uh, yeah. to know it was there. You'd have to have the key. You, yeah. Sure. Like it doesn't mean anything without that. <laughs> Now, it was clear to investigators that BTK cared a lot about the attention he was getting in the media, and he loved being the focal point that was feared by the community. So his boldness to communicate to the public through the media also told them that he was cocky and believed that he was always a few steps ahead of the police. And to him, you know, this was like a cat and mouse kind of game. And he was having fun talking Mm. to the police like this. So... The way that this would work is BTK would send a letter to Cake TV or like the Wichita Eagle, and then the police would respond via a press conference. And it was basically like these press conferences were the investigator. I think it was a man named Ken Landwehr. It was basically like him directly speaking to BTK just through a press conference. Now that stroked BTK's ego big time. Gross, mad gross. <laughs> uh-huh, Yeah. So in January of 2005, BTK told police that he had left a cereal box in a truck bed at a Home Depot. Now, he had done this a few times where he just like left a bag of like evidence and different things and people would find it and cops would, you know, search through it or whatever. So this wasn't the first time. Um, there, there would be like copies of license or Barbies that he had like manipulated to be bound and gagged Ugh. and... Uh, yeah, it was sadistic, Barbie. very sadistic. No. I know, poor Barbie. Poor fucking Barbie, man. Now, the cops went to Home Depot, but they found nothing. They talked with employees and asked if any of them had found anything. Again, nothing. Nobody had seen anything. So they posted like a little like, have you have you found a cereal <laughs> box in your truck? Or like, have you seen anything weird? Kind of note in the Home Depot's employee lounge. Okay. And after an employee came back from vacation, he told police that like, hey, yeah, I did find a cereal box in the back of my truck and it had read on it like BTK bomb, but I just thought somebody was playing a joke on me because there's like random shit inside. So I just like threw it in my burn pit. And so <gasps> the police were like, oh. Now, for those that don't know what a burn pit is, most of the time it's like a burn barrel, like think of a metal barrel that people who live out in the country, they burn their own trash. And so it kind of just collects over time and then they burn it when it gets big um, or it gets full. 
thankfully, he had not burned his burn pit. <laughs> Thank so, God. Since they knew whose truck the cereal box had come from, they were able to look at surveillance footage. Now, unfortunately, this truck was parked at the back of the parking lot, but they were able to make out the car that came and stopped and the man who got out and put the cereal box in this man's, the back of this man's truck. But they couldn't make out who the man was. All they could make out was that the man drove a dark colored Jeep Cherokee. But this it's always was some Jeeps. It's always know, right? the fucking Jeeps. I've always hated Jeep brands. <laughs> Sorry. Really? Sorry. They're I like just them. gas always... guzzlers. They really That's are it. gas guzzlers. They Back are gas guzzlers. If they get better with gas, I'll love them. Right? Just make me an electrical Jeep and I'll That's be it. totally yeah. fine. I want one. I loved, I've loved the way they looked. Yeah, look. They look I've awesome. I've always wanted one. I know. I won't ever get yeah. one though. But. Now, um, so they were able to, you know, mark out that it was a dark colored Jeep Cherokee. So BTK was getting a little tired with this whole back and forth and he really wanted to cut out the middle band, you know, take TV <laughs> and Wichita Eagle. He wanted to like, just, you know, expand their relationship and talk more directly with the police. So inside the cereal box, I think there was also a Barbie and some other evidence, but there was also a letter. And this letter was asking if they could communicate via floppy disk. And (laughs) that way he could just like communicate with the police one-on-one kind of thing. But he told the cops, you have to promise you won't track the floppy disk. And if you promise to not track the floppy disk, you should... Uh, they like he put in there, instructed them, put an ad in the local newspaper that said, quote, Rex, it'll be okay, end quote. So they did. They're like, okay. put an ad in the paper. So Rex, like, it'll be okay. So BTK sent a floppy disk. And the moment the police got the floppy disk, they immediately slipped it into the computer and cops surrounded the desk as they looked into the disk's metadata. It didn't take them long to see that the disk came from Christ of the Lutheran Church. And as they dug deeper, they saw it was created by a person named Dennis. As the person is looking at the metadata, another cop goes to Google and types in this church, finds this church, and is going through this church's directory and comes across a man named Dennis Rader, who is the president of like the church council. I'm on the edge of my seat right now. Right? So was every fucking coffin investigator in that room. They finally had a name. They had a name. They had a face. They knew who BTK was. Oh, my God. But they needed more, like, solid evidence before putting him under <sighs> arrest. And so what they did is they put him under 24-hour surveillance. Because they were like, <laughs> this bitch is not killing another person on our good. watch. Yeah. So they put him under 24-hour surveillance and they started... Uh, they analyzed and compared all the DNA that had been collected over all the cases or all the murders from the last 30 years. They, When they looked at all of this, they found that it did all belong to the same person. And one investigator realized that Carrie, who was Dennis Rader's daughter, had gone to the local Duke University. And so they got a court order to ask the university clinic if she had given any samples she had. She had oh, a yeah. vaginal exam. So she, they had her sample on file. They got a, a warrant, search warrant, and they got this the sample and they compared it, sent it off to labs, had it compared. And a few days later, they got a call that yes, Carrie was a direct descendant of Oh my BTK. God. 
meaning oh she God. was the child of, of BTK, BTK, the serial killer. Oh my God. How old was his daughter at the time? Um, she, she was married. Okay. She, she was out of college. She was out of the house. Yeah. They only had two kids. She was the youngest. And so she was out of college. She was, I don't know how exactly how old she was, um, girl. but she had gotten married in 2003 and then this was 2005. So she's only wow. been married a couple of years. So girl. this, you know, ding, 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 bingo. They, they can now arrest him. So on February 25th, 2005, Dennis Rader was on his way home to eat lunch with his wife when his car was suddenly surrounded by police. He pulled over and before he could get out of the car, an officer got to him on purpose. Like the officer was like, I'm not going to let your ass get out of that car without me pulling you out. And so the officer goes out of the car, yeah. yanks Dennis out of the car, yeah. throws, <laughs> throws his ass on the <laughs> pavement and puts him under arrest. You want to yeah. know, do you want to know what Dennis's first fucking words were out of his mouth when he was arrested was it how long how, how did it take you so long or i've been waiting for this take me in the ass what did he say <laughs> <laughs> will you tell will you tell my wife i won't be home for lunch i'm certain you know where i live for his wife <laughs> what the fuck what an you, you what okay so now we're going to back up and we're going to fill in some blanks, okay? Let's talk about Dennis Rader. Who, who is Dennis Rader? So Dennis Rader was born March 9th, 1945 in Pittsburgh, Kansas, and was the eldest of four boys. His father was strict, but not necessarily abusive. Um, his parents had a good relationship. It was, you know, cookie cutter life, basically. He was in Boy Scouts. Hmm. He wasn't bullied. Honestly, he was considered a model child. <laughs> but in private, uh, oh, Dennis, Dennis was a little bit of a different story. It won't come uh, as a shock that Dennis abused animals. Trigger, trigger warning. Parents, firstly, if you notice any sign of your child abusing an animal, please immediately take them to a psychiatrist. They, I, I'm pretty sure they did not know he did this. Um, so I'm skip to get skip ahead like 30 seconds if you need to. But he would hang cats, particularly. Um, it's been said, oh my yeah, God. it's been said in research that the reason cats are more abused by specifically like serial killers and stuff is because when they squeal, like when they're being hurt and like strangled, they sound like a woman. Yeah. I knew where you were going. I, we don't have to take a step further in that direction. God, I know it's not all men, but men are fucked up creatures, guys. Oh my God. Jesus Christ. I actually, yeah. until now, had never heard... I've heard of people lighting them on fire. I've heard of <gasps> skinning alive. What? I've heard of, like, just shooting them or, like, stabbing them. I have not heard of them being hung until this instance, though. None of them are... Don't do this! Just, <sighs> I feel like don't. we shouldn't have had to say that out loud. Don't, <laughs> don't hurt anything or anyone. Ever at any I point understand. in time. I understand if you eat animals for food, okay, but everybody I know that does it is it's so humane. You should yeah, and respect the animal. If it's giving you life, you kill it in a humane way. Torture. Why? 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 There's no no reason, no excuse. Ugh. Fuck you, BTK. That's all. Yeah. Right. He also said that one day when he was playing Cowboys and Indians um, as a kid, all the kids would take turns like being the 
princess tied up or the person tied up on the train tracks, you know? But when it was his turn, he remembers being aroused when he got to be tied up. So I didn't get an age. So I don't know what age he was, but just think of like the age that you would play cows, cowboys and Indians. Why the fuck are you getting aroused sexually? I was thinking at that like age? seven, because like six, seven, ten and under. Like yeah. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm being very gracious saying ten and under, because I'm not sure that my nine year old would want to go out and play cowboys and Indians, you know. But like, okay. But getting aroused, that's not something that happens to children. I don't feel like that's normal unless they're predisposed to something. And he was not. That's odd. Yeah. Because we've said it before that kids, like, they'll, when they're learning their bodies, sensation-wise, they're curious. And if something feels good, they'll just do it. But it's not sexual in nature. Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. I digress. Proceed. Yeah. Another core memory that Dennis brings up from his childhood is one day his mom was cleaning their couch and her finger somehow got caught on like one of the cushion springs. And so she told him, hey, go get your dad. And she's kind of freaking out that her finger stuck. She's scared. But instead of going and getting his father, he just stood there and watched her as she was helpless for a little bit. And he remembers getting enjoyment at the fear in his mother's eyes and her being helpless and in pain. No, 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 no. Dennis, take five steps back and go away. In fifth grade, so fifth grade is around 10... So my daughter, yeah, you're about yes. 10, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe 11 if you're on the older side in your grade. Uh, he hated his teacher. So he decided to spy on her at her home. A few times he saw her undress. And one time he brought ropes with him. As he watched her, he put a rope around his waist and he masturbated. He put a Fifth rope grade, around guys. his waist? Yes, is his own waist. And masturbated. He, he really liked ropes. Yep. He's 10 or 11. That's not, that's not right. There's a wrong and a right in this instance. You're not supposed to be hitting puberty till middle school. Yeah. And he's already like full-blown mass rating, peeping Tom, having sadomasochistic fantasies. Oh, yeah. Like, what the hell? And like I just said, he did start having sadistic sexual fantasies about torturing um, what he called, quote, trapped and helpless women. As a teen, he would tie himself up and put bags on his own head. He'd draw ropes and gags on women that he would cut out of uh, magazines. He also developed a fascination with girls' clothing and often stole women's underwear. At times, he would dress in women's clothing, spy on his female neighbors, put bindings around his neck and arms, and then again, masturbate. As he got older, he developed a fascination with BDSM and sadomasochism. For those who don't know, sadomasochism is sexual pleasure from experiencing pain yourself or inflicting pain on others. Consensually. Yeah, yeah. And of the age of consent. (laughs) Yes. Think what Albert Fish was doing to himself. (laughs) The pins and the balls. It's. I still think about that. I still sometimes I, I still balls. I still think about <laughs> Albert Fish's scrotum. <laughs> I if it ever pops in my head, I instantly again. I think about that or like, the pee. Oh, I can't. I, yeah. Well, why? Why? That or the pee. Why? I don't like to think about the poop, but mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I don't like to think about any of it, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> now, Dennis graduated from high school in Wichita. He then, in 1965, enrolled in Kansas Wesleyan College, but he quickly dropped out. And in 1966, at 21, he joined the Air Force and stayed in for four years. He had a very basic military career, no accolades, but also nothing alarming, mm. like no disciplinary action, nothing. It was just a very typical cookie cutter military career. Okay. But we do find out later that he would still during this time do some peeping through some window, women, women's windows at night. So he was still a <sighs> sick freak. Gross. Now, after leaving the military, he returns to Wichita and his mom introduces him to a girl from church. Paula Dietz, I think is how you say their last name. And, and they married May 22nd, 1971. So it was kind of a quick little meet cute. Okay. Not really, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, now, from what I can tell, this church that Dennis met his wife at, that his mom went to, like, this is a church that he grew up in. And it's the same Christ of the Lutheran church that he was the president of the church council. So him and Paula had two children, Brian and Carrie. He was a wonderful father. He took his kids on trips. He was involved in their life and extracurricular activities. He was a Boy Scout leader. He wasn't physically abusive. And he even built them a massive treehouse for his kids when Carrie, his youngest, was only four. He was like literally an American dad. Also, I'm going to tell you now, Google his picture. Google Dennis's picture now? Dennis Rader. Yeah, you can Google his picture. You're going to be like, what the fuck? I promise. This is BTK. He, <laughs> I knew it. I, I'm seeing yes. a picture of him when he's younger with his daughter. And honestly, it's a very wholesome picture. This one. You see what I mean? Like a 1980s dad. Yeah. Okay. See? You guys, if any of you watch Stranger Things, he looks like Hopper. He, but oh like, no. You just fucking ruined Hopper for me. I no, because Hopper. Hopper's a no, good man. He's no. hot as hell. Like, he, no. he doesn't look like Hopper. I, he doesn't. It's he's just not the cute. mustache for me, Hopper's really, and the like. Fucking hot. The okay, get away from that picture. Go to a more okay. modern picture because this Hopper one is gross. Is hot. That see, this that is, that just is gross. Gross. Wait, just you have to use this picture because his eyebrow is so fucked up <laughs> in it. Yeah. Okay. This is the one. Hopper. Hopper's like looks will grow with him as he ages. He will age like fine wine along with his beautiful wife. BTK aged like a fucking dog turd in the Arizona sun, okay? And I can say that because he's a serial killer and I don't fucking care about his feelings. What is this? Oh, we're not, okay, okay, stop looking at pictures. I'm sorry, I'm done. done. <laughs> what is that? What is that? <laughs> Guys, I skipped forward a bit. In the photos, and I, I found things I shouldn't have found. I shouldn't have. Hold on, we'll get to it. I promise, I promise. Oh, bro. my God. Okay, I okay, thought okay. we were done. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we are definitely not done. Okay. Okay, so in night... <laughs> oh, I got my breath. I got the game <laughs> So, in 1973, he earned an associate degree, but... Also, this year, he was laid off from his job and this pissed him off. It was, he was very much like, why was I laid off? Like, who lays off me? (laughs) Yeah, very narcissistic. This anger and resentment built up. And while his wife was at work, he had a lot of time on his hands. So to take out his frustrations, he decided to break into other people's homes 
That's not a coping mechanism. That's not that. No, no. These were complete strangers who had nothing to do with him getting laid off. And he was like, he says later on that it was like him being able to like try to take back his power. And I'm like, bitch, these people had nothing to do with you losing, quote, your power. Yoga is an excellent alternative. Uh, Yeah, but also these these break-ins weren't doing it for him. So he decides, nah, fuck it. I'm just going to start murdering people. Literally just as like, I'm going to start planning. That's the logical thing to come to, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So now we're going to get into his perspective of each of these crimes and kind of more of the details that we don't know or even that the cops didn't know. Now, the Otera family murders on January 15th, 1974, during his laid off uh, from work time, Dennis saw the wife and the daughter, Josie, one morning when he was taking his wife to work. And the moment he lied, laid eyes on her, Josie, the child, uh, he decided that they were going to be his first kill and he had to have her. Oh my God. Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he stalked them for weeks and then on January 15th, he put his plan into action. Now we do find out, this is so sad, as Dennis was hanging Josie from the sewer pipe, she asked what was going to happen to her and he said, well, honey, you're going to be in heaven tonight with the rest of your family. I have to leave the chair now and I have to, is this person alive? I'm, Immediately. <laughs> Must Yeah, he's still alive. Like <gasps> I uh, How? what is it? Death by death by firing How? squad isn't How th- that's has too, no one in prison nice killed this him. person? Just like No, we'll get to that. We'll get to that too. Okay. Promise. Okay. Mm-hmm. Josie, rest in power. I love you. Rest <sighs> in peace. I know. Baby girl. So sweet. After the murders, he took pictures of the dead bodies and took Josie's underwear as a trophy, as well as the radio and Mr. Otero's watch. Um, that watch that he took uh, of Mr. Otero's, he wore that for years. He, Dennis got such a high from these murders that he wrote about it in great detail. Uh, since he was currently in school, he disguised his time working on this as doing schoolwork. Ugh. And he finished in February of 1974, so just a month later. And he put it in a binder and filed it away like we would a scrapbook or a family photo album. I hate that. I hate that. Yep. Now, after he got his associate's degree, Dennis then went to Wichita State University, where he got his bachelor's of science. A degree majoring in administration of justice in 1979. Are you fucking uh, kidding gl- me? Gl- yeah. Mm-hmm. Grand Canyon University says that an admit quote, an administration of justice degree program will, will explore the various branches, agencies, and roles within the criminal justice system. Students will learn about such topics as the following, the roles and responsibilities of law enforcement agencies, the court system, and the corrections system. Oh, my God. He did this so he could like hone his craft. I was about to say and, this and literally learn more gave about him how to get away. He knew what they were looking for. He knew like the methodology mm-hmm. behind everything. This was seriously a craft to him. And to him, it was yeah, for sure. Disgusting. Now on the outside, oh, very much so. Now on the outside, Dennis was seen as a respected man in his community. He was a Cub Scout leader, president of the church board at Christ Lutheran Church, and had what many would call an ordinary American family. Like he had it all. From 1974 to 1988, during his murder spree, 
He worked as a manager of sorts at ADT, installing security systems in people's homes. I knew it. I was going to say he's either a delivery person or he works on telephone lines or, yeah, that doing security systems. Yeah. He was installing the security systems that people were getting because they were scared of BTK, which was him. You couldn't win. This job. You literally couldn't win. No, this job gave him more knowledge on how to get around security systems, layouts of people's homes, where people hid. He would even steal women's underwear on these jobs and never got caught for it, ever. (sighs) He took notes. And because of these notes, we know some really awful, disgusting things about him that make you want to vomit. So trigger warning, he is disgusting. Um, He nicknamed his penis Sparky. So that's, it's yelling, I have nothing. I have a tiny pizza. It is hollering that it is a micro weenie. It is no weenies allowed. Normally, I would never judge somebody for the size of their penis, okay? Because it's not the size, it's the motion of the ocean, baby. It's how you but, use it, for sure. It is but come on, it, you but, know that's, that's okay. just... <laughs> got him. I'm going to make fun of his penis, okay? I will make fun now, of everything in, about this person. Right. Forever. In his notes, he would write SBT as like a little acronym uh, a lot. And it stood for, God damn it. Is it Spark? Is it Sparky BTK? No, it's SBT. Sparky oh. Big Time. Sparky Big Time. <laughs> big Time No Go. I don't know how to use it because it's just so tiny. <laughs> I can't wrap my hand around it. It's too weird. I can't. <laughs> I can't satisfy anyone, <clears throat> nor myself, of my own, you know, motivations. Therefore, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I must so do horrible he trolled, things. He trolled women for hours and days looking for a project. That's what he would call them, quote projects. Oh, but God. would break it off um, if he didn't seem safe. Like if something was off, he would break it off because he really didn't want to get caught. But he has said that if he came across you and you had a routine, you were in trouble. The the routine, if he could make sure you were going to be where you were on certain days, that was you know what did it for him. Made it easier for him, basically. Yep. During his cooling off period, um, here we go, Lola. Uh-uh. He was... <laughs> He would go to hotels or even out in the woods and he would dress in women's clothing like lingerie, sometimes even wear a mask. And then he would tie himself up and take pictures. That is the picture I saw earlier, guys. Can I look at it again? What in the world? Yeah. What is that? (laughs) That's, That's him. Why is the mask so clowny? Why didn't you? Uh, I don't know. Because he's a dipshit, and you are. Yeah, I think so he called stupid. these like parties. Like I think he called them some kind of parties, and he would literally go to hotels, go out in the woods, like tie himself up. Can when you imagine walking up on that? <laughs> right when the cops arrested him and found all this like evidence they were like who are your male victims they didn't realize it was him oh my god now how do you tie yourself up there's this picture of him suspended i i don't i don't know how he did it out in the woods (sighs) Mm -hmm. he's wearing pantyhose Mm -hmm. the wrong way also 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh, He admitted later on that like him doing this, he was trying to recreate and play the part of his previous victims, which that's the part that's like so fucking gross. So he wanted to be his victim as well as perform? The ones he had already killed. Huh. So he had already seen them die. And so he was trying to recreate and get that high from that murder by himself. You know, I just don't even care about his motivations. I don't care to know anything more <laughs> about him. His psyche. I don't just He's a Is there any fixing yeah. a person like this? Is there any For way? him, no. I don't think so. I, I absolutely do not think so. And I, I'll talk about more of like the research that was done into him. But I want to keep going through the murders. Yes. Now, Catherine Bright, um, the her and her brother, so he knocked on her door planning to say that he needed a quiet place to study, but nobody answered. Also, what made you ever fucking think that somebody was just going to be like, come into my home? Sure, stranger, you can study in my... Like, go to the fucking library, you idiot. It's so stupid that he even thought that would work. So he broke a window... Um, on the door and then was able to get in and he hid in her closet and waited for her to get home. While waiting, the idiot pulled out his Colt 22 to take the safety off, but the gun went off. I swear this man is a fucking <laughs> idiot. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, but can, you imagine, <laughs> can you imagine the moment that happened? I'm just like, oh, like so so <laughs> oh I shot the gun. You fucking idiot. <laughs> Now, not too long after 2 p.m., 2 p.m., she gets home, but surprisingly, she isn't alone. Kevin, her brother, is with him, and he was not expecting that. Oh. And so that caught him off, caught him by surprise. And so he had to try to, like, control the situation. So that's why he had him, you know, tie her up. But because he left, he was scared that, you know, people were going to be showing up. And so, but he didn't want her to be able to ID him. And he wasn't expecting Kevin to survive because he shot him in the head. So then that's why he just stabbed her. So it was a quicker death because he did realize that strangling, that takes a long time. And he didn't have that time. So that's why he pulled out the knife and stabbed Catherine to death. Now, uh, I thought that was the opposite. Not that the brother was stabbed. No, I thought that. I had it in my mind that it only takes like 10 seconds of completely closing their airway. No, strangulation takes such a long time. So the reason that all of the Oterra family family um, autopsies had shown them having swollen faces was because he wasn't strangling them and then giving them their air back. It was his hands were literally not strong enough to oh. strangle them oh, okay. for that long. Okay. And so it took really long time. And so he actually, the, he did hand exercises before he did his next this murder. is no. So that <laughs> that's a no us. from me, uh, dog. Mm-mm. Right. Seriously. Now, in 1974, after Catherine's murder, uh, that's when the false confession from those guys came out. And mm-hmm. then he makes his whole like public debut mm-hmm. in the media. In 1975, Dennis uh, had actually picked out a woman named Cheryl to murder, and he had planned out this whole entire murder in detail. But when he went to her home that day, she wasn't there. I'm not sure why he didn't just break in. Um, maybe she had a security system or something, but it didn't work. But he had already picked out a couple other what he called projects on this in the same neighborhood. So he went and knocked on those doors again. 
Nobody answered. And then he sees Stephen, the six-year-old boy, walking home with the suit for his mom. And when he sees Uh, the little boy, he's like, there must be a woman inside. And so that's how uh, Shirley became his next victim. What is it with the hatred for women or the target for women? But you were good to your wife? I think they're just easy. They're just easier to control and get him that satisfaction and fulfill the fantasy. So that's that literally for him. I think that's why. I don't think it stemmed from any kind of hatred. After his arrest, he was asked if there being kids in the home, because remember, Stephen had two other siblings, all under the age of six, mind you, if that bothered him or worried him because the kids were so young. And his response was no, they were old enough to take care of themselves. What? Under what circumstances? What? Who raised you? He's a father. He's a father of two kids. Like, I was just thinking that too. Like, what? How would you feel if somebody did that to your daughter? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Where's this track in your mind? It doesn't. Mm. Now, in December 1977, Dennis had already gotten away with six murders, but while prowling, he sees Nancy Fox and she becomes his seventh. He stalked her for weeks, tracking her every moment. And as usual, on the day of the murder, he got her phone line, snuck into her home and waited for her. On uh, in February of 1978, when the police chief announced Wichita had a serial killer on the loose, Dennis said that he felt like a movie star. This just brought him so much satisfaction. After this, he takes his second cooling off period. When asked about his cooling off periods, he said, this is another ooh, that he had as much fun playing with himself as he's as he did with his victims. Ah! This man is, right? So freaking gross. Now, I will tell you the next, the next murder that we get into. This one is very disturbing. What did you do to your wife in bed? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Apparently nothing. Oh. Now, when I, I don't, I don't think I had talked about this earlier, but like when he would have his like cooling off periods, um, his wife did catch him twice dressing up in women's clothing and wearing the mask. Oh. And after the second time, she was like, bitch, you do that again. I'm leaving with the kids because that's fucking weird. And so he didn't, he made sure he like, she, she never saw him do it again. Mm, okay. I'm like, what was going through your poor wife's head when she saw that? Cause I would have been like, I, I worry for her. <laughs> I know. Like not to kink shame, but like, no, but if you're, what else are you sh- lying about? Shouldn't you let your partner know that if you're married, shouldn't exactly. you know about each other's kinks and like have a discussion about that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, um, on April 28th, 1985, it was the Marine Hedge murder. This murder, I, I literally have no words for this one. Um, BTK was at a camp out with his son's uh, Cub Scout group, and he said he had a headache and needed to leave. When he left, he went to a bowling alley and got a beer. He drank some and then poured some of it on his shirt to make it seem as if he was drunk. He then got a taxi to Park City. When he arrived at her home, uh, he cut her phone line and snuck in. When Maureen arrived home, she wasn't alone. So Dennis waited until the man that was with her left and he left around 1 a.m. I think this was her boyfriend, which like she's 60 something like, get it, girl, be dating. I love that. Um, but mm-hmm. I know, so cute. After he left, Maureen went to bed and when she was asleep, he jumped out and proceeded to strangle and murder her. 
But he then takes her body, puts it in her car, and then he drives her dead body to his church. He takes to his church. He then goes in the church and he puts black plastic over the window so nobody can see in. And then he takes her dead body and places it upon the altar, binds her, positions her, and takes pictures of all these different positions. What? In his church. What in the... Who... Was he not afraid? I just... uh... Can you imagine being somebody that like finds all of this out and then's like, I went to church I that went next to Sunday. church there that next Sunday. Yeah, that dead woman was like, oh, those what? those trash bags that I found in the dumpster out back, those were on on the windows that were concealing a dead body. She lived alone. Why didn't you just do this? In the house, why did you have to take her to the church? I'm so confused. I still don't understand why he did that. That is, uh, that adds a whole new level of like having to plan though. If you plan these things out. Because you have to get the body into the car without anyone seeing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if there's a garage or whatever. But even so, being sure you're not pulled over, being sure you get them to whatever location, taking them out of that car into the next building. I don't understand the thought process. This is like completely changing the method to whatever this person's doing. And there was so, that, that, like the cops, which kind of like, they, there were so many different methods and yeah. everything. Like they were just torn so many different directions. Like they could not come up with some kind of profile. Such disrespect to the the body too. I mean... Disrespect to all the bodies, but God. Yeah. Like the body and then also disrespecting the church building. Like so many people, like, I know we like talk shit about a lot of religion and stuff, but like. No, but it's a revered, like holy place, a sacred ground for certain people. They, They believe that a building holds holiness and that's fine. And, you know, respect that shit. You defiled it in such a awful awful, sadistic, horrifying way. I just, uh-uh, no. Now, after he's done, he puts her body back in the car and uh, dumped her body in that ditch. Uh, Vicky Waverly, she was the ninth victim and she was chosen by Dennis because while he was prowling one day, he heard her playing the piano and loved it so much that he decided that she would be his next victim. This is the time he dressed up as a telephone worker to gain entry to her home. And... Again, he posed her, took pictures and everything, and then he left. He did this with everyone except for Catherine Bright. Now, um, Dolores Davis, which was his 10th and last victim, was on January 19th, 1921. Dennis was at a camping event with his son's Cub Scouts group when he made up an excuse to leave. He really liked sneaking out of like meetings and camping trips <laughs> with his... I know, it's crazy. He just knows that they'll be preoccupied. And they won't think about him for right. a bit, I guess. Now here, I get a little confused. I had said he was snuck out of the camping trip earlier from the Cub Scouts. I think one of them was a meeting and one of them was camping. And there's some conflicting reports on what is what. Okay. My assumption is this was the camping trip that he snuck out of. Um, All right. Or maybe they were both camping trips. I'm not really sure. Hmm. But... Um, he snuck out, and when he left, he drove to his parents' house where he changed his clothes. He then drove to a Baptist church in Park City and parked his car and proceeded to walk two miles to get to Dolores Davis's home 
No, she had only lived a mile from Dennis's home. So she was not too far. And I can't remember, uh, I'm drawing a blank, but one of the other victims, I think it was Vicky Waverly. No, 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 it wasn't Vicky. Maureen Hedge. Maureen Hedge, the one he took to his church. She actually lived in the same neighborhood as Dennis. Like literally was just a neighbor down the street. Oh, shudder. No, thank you. Yeah. Now he drove to the Baptist Church in Park City, parked his car and then drove, walked the two miles to Dolores' home. When he got there, he waited till she was asleep and then he took a cinder block and threw it through her back sliding glass door. This woke up Dolores and she thought a car had crashed into her home. So she got up to investigate. When she walked out of her room, she was met by Dennis. He forced her back to the bedroom where he tied her up. While he was tying her up, he leaned down and whispered into her ear, I'm BTK. Then he strangled her to death. (gasps) I know. He then took her body and put it in her own car and dumped her body near a lake where he hid it under some trees. Then he went back to her house, took her jewelry box and wiped the car down for fingerprints. Next, he walked back to his car and then drove and picked up Dolores' body so he could dump it under that bridge in Sedgwick County. Now, after he was done, he changed into his Cub Scout Scout leadership uniform and went back to the camping weekend where his son was. The next night, Dennis snuck out again to go look at Dolores' body. On this trip, he had stopped at a rest stop to change back into his Cub Scout you know, uniform when a state trooper stopped him and started asking him some questions because they had had some crime happen in the area and he was told to stop anybody that looked suspicious. Since it was so late, Dennis got stopped. But the state trooper let him go because they were like, you're a Cub Scout leader. You're not suspicious. If they would have stopped him and not profiled him just because he looked quote, normal. Like a dad. They would have found, <laughs> like a dad. Uh, they would have found in his trunk Marine's, uh, it was Marine? Dolores, Dolores, uh, Dolores's uh, jewelry box that he had stolen from her home the night before. And if they would have done that, they might have been able to connect him to BTK much sooner because it wouldn't have saved anybody because this was the last murder. Yeah. But, but still. he would have been in jail a lot sooner. Yeah. Could they have connected it? Sure. Could they have not? It would have, it would have had to have been the right cops talking and the right evidence, the right ones knowing about what evidence for that to happen, but it could have happened. It was all just so scattered. It was very, yes. After this, he never killed again, but never quit stalking women. After his job at ADT, he became a dog catcher and compliance officer in Park City. With this job, he would monitor neighborhoods and make sure people's homes were in compliance with city ordinances. Oh my God. He liked this job. Oh, he loved this job because it gave him power over others. And many said he was so overzealous and was known to bully single women. Of course. Shacker. Now that we know who he is. I have never rolled my eyes so hard at any person before, but I am rolling them hard at this. I don't even want to call him BTK. I feel like it's just, you're just Dennis. That's all you are. You're just Dennis. You're small peen mean Dennis. That's your name. (laughs) Small peen mean. Now, uh, you might be asking, how does he keep all the trophies and bondage material and pictures from his wife and family? Oh, yeah. Well, he had multiple what he called hidey holes oh, no. <laughs> around his home and even throughout Wichita. Like he had a whole map of like everything he was hiding. 
When he was taken into custody, Dennis confessed once he knew they had DNA and there was no way for him to get out of it. His recorded confession was 30 hours long. One of the parts of his confession that just baffles the fuck out of me is actually, he asked the officers, why did you lie to me about the floppy disk? (gasps) The audacity. (laughs) The cops were like, because we were trying to catch you. Because you're a killer, dude. Duh. Like, he had literally, and he talks about this with a psychologist later on, like, he tells him, I literally had worked up in my mind that we were friends and that what? we had some kind of bond and relationship and I trusted them and I trusted they wouldn't lie to me. You know, he really wasn't, <laughs> I, at the beginning of this, when you were talking about all that, I was like, he's got a crush on the police department. Right. He's getting a little too attached. This is a no strings attached, buddy. One night stand. Gotta catch it. Uh-huh. Gotta catch them all Pokemon style. But, <laughs> you know. Well, uh, in, his, in his confession, he told them that they would find the mother load uh, or treasure trove. I can't remember exactly how he said it. Of evidence in his file cabinet in his office at his job as the compliance officer. This is a question I've had for fucking years. Where the fuck did he keep all of this? Like, like they Before. said for a file cabinet of pictures. I was like, where did he keep all this? Like, how did his wife not fucking find it? I it didn't come out until like 2019 that like he literally had a file cabinet and he told the cops like this is where it's at. It might have come out sooner, but I didn't watch like transcripts of the trials. Oh yeah. So um, the officers go to the office and they find this file cabinet literally full. Uh, Pictures, trophies, maps, the Oterra killing journal, all of it. And shockingly, the file cabinet wasn't even fucking locked. The key to it was just sitting on top of it. Like he was that fucking confident and like just sure of himself that he was never going to get caught. (laughs) You know, it's the ones that are really arrogant that they always do end up tripping over their own feet. Oh. They always end up Oh, he's fucking so himself tripped over. over his micro penis. Like oh. way bad. He just <laughs> tripped right over it. Four months later, Dennis Rader pled guilty in court and the judge made him confess in detail to all of his crimes. He was sentenced to 10 life sentences without the possibility of parole. Parole. Parole, Todd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His death penalty... <laughs> Uh, I don't think the death penalty was on the table because I don't think there was a death penalty or something. I can't remember. What state was this in? uh, Kansas. Kansas. I don't know anything about there. I can't remember. I I meant to look into that and I I forgot to. Sorry, guys. But I think think there was no death penalty because I'm pretty sure he would have gotten the death penalty. But there isn't, I think there isn't. Okay, anyways, moving on. When Dennis Raider was arrested, his entire family was in shock. His wife filed for an emergency divorce and the judge signed it so that her divorce was granted immediately. Mm-hmm. And she didn't have to wait the whole like 60 day period. Good. Literally, I think her her divorce was granted within an hour. Like she was like, Wonderful. I want a divorce, sign my name. They were like, boom, bitch, your divorce, done. <laughs> now, Paula has never done any interviews. I don't blame her. She stays out of the public eye. Nobody bother her. Nobody bother her. Yeah, she's nobody. been through enough. No one try to find her. Just don't try to find his kids. Just don't. Leave him no. alone. 
Um, his son also said that his the day his father was arrested was the day he died in his eyes. Like he's like, I want nothing to do with this man. Mm-hmm. He also has um, no communication communication with his father, and he stays out of the public eye. Good. Good. On the other hand, Dennis's daughter Carrie married in two thousand three. She married just two years before her father was arrested. Mm-hmm. Arrested after his arrest, she struggled and still does to grapple with the realization that the dad she knew and loved was a man wearing a mask. She eventually wrote a book that literally. came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. Literally. Like a fucked up one too. <laughs> um, she eventually wrote a book that came out in 2019 called A Serial Killer's Daughter. We will also link that in the show notes for you guys. I have not read that book, but I've heard it's good. But she still had some communication with her father um, and she was very guarded, but she still had communication with him. I was like, girl, how do you do that? But at the same time, I'm like, you have to heal your own journey is your own journey. Yeah, we can't blame her with that. Yeah, you can't. It's difficult to understand, but imagine if it was one of our parents or something. But I want to read from an article on, um, it's from grunge.com and it's titled What Happened to BTK's (laughs) Children. Well, this one's good. So it says, quote, and it's talking as if it's Carrie. Mm -hmm. Um, I still love my father and I wish he had never done any of this, that I just had my dad. I worry about him being alone in prison at times, but at other times I just can't for my own sanity. Rosalind told Esquire following the book's release. Now Rosalind, that's her um, married name. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when she's talking about him being alone, he literally is in solitary confinement. Dang it. And has been since the day he walked into prison. Dang it. So that's why nobody nobody has shanked him yet because dude, he, I know, right? He just, he's alone. The shoe is not real prison. (laughs) But also like he strives on everybody's attention and so he doesn't get that. He's literally in a room by himself. Like he has no attention. He doesn't get to be around other people. Like he is under control of the justice system and the jail. So it's kind of a flip on. Yeah, I would just, I would love to see him in, in Gen Pop though. Cause like you can't, if you're going to be in a narcissist and you're going to think everything's about you, you got a whole, you got a whole new world coming to you. They, they're going to rip you a new one. <laughs> But at the same time, it's BTK. And I feel like there are those sickos that would revere him and he would get this sick satisfaction. Probably. There would be a handful. So there's like, yes, he might get shanked. But at the same time, like he would be, I'd rather him be in solitary confinement. The shoe is definitely not the best place to be. I mean, you literally, you can go crazy in there. You can lose your yeah. your absolute mind. You can get so out of touch with reality, it can make things worse than when yeah. it first came in. So, I mean, yeah. it's punishment. I'll take it, but... He was still having some communication with Carrie, but the article goes on to say, quote, as a wife and a mother, Carrie Watson has done her best to lead a quiet, wholesome life and has actually tried to maintain a cordial correspondence with her father. However, in 2021, she declared publicly that she had eradicated any and all attempts to maintain a relationship with Raider. Oh, wow. According to Oxygen, Dennis Raider managed to rally a large sect of his admirers <gasps> to, quote, cyberstalk and harass her. While he has no access to the internet and is not <gasps> permitted to speak with the press, he's able to send letters from his cell after a slew of scathing social media posts and, quote, screenshots of her online activity 
activities being pro proliferated by Raiders fans. Oh she filed a no contact order against him. Oh, what? I mean, this man. I'm very angry for her. Can you imagine? She was just trying to heal. She was trying exactly. to understand. She's being and, the bigger and person. Leave that door open. She, I right. He is. I mean, a of all cats. She was extending an olive branch, and you just cut it off. Like, you, mm -hmm. what was the point? You you never really loved her. You never really loved your daughter. If that's how you treat no. her in the end, when no. she's trying to, you know, meticulously, carefully, in a healthy way, talk to you again. It's disgusting. Yeah. Man. He's a piece of shit. Well, I'm glad that she has made some money off of his horribleness. I'm happy that she right. profited off of, you know, that story. And and uh, mm -hmm. I'm happy that they're living she under She was the... a victim just as much as... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, all the other people. Like, she... She lost her father. Like, people are like, she's not a real victim. Yes, she yeah, is. She's she a real victim. She lost a lot. Not everything, but a lot. Oh, so much. And I know we've been going long, but I'm going to end it with, with this yes. last two things. So Dr. Catherine Gramsland studied Dennis Rader and had many talks with him over the years doing her research. She says that his need for attention was something that he never outgrew. And this need for attention was what pushed him to make contact with the media and police and eventually his downfall. Now, Dr. Ramsland's goal researching extreme offenders is to bust myths around serial killers, specifically that they aren't always what you think. They can be well-rounded, neighborly, community-involved people living right next door to you. And if the cop, like we said earlier, had not profiled Dennis, he could have been caught a lot sooner. Exactly. And so she's trying to teach you know, to be more open-minded to so what a serial killer can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, here's where I'm going to end with my theory, okay? I'm going to end with this. There are those that suspect that there can be more murder. There is possibly more murderers committed by Dennis prior to the Otero murders. Because they're like starting out with like a family massacre. Like that's pretty big. So the, even... Dr. Ramslin has said that she wouldn't be shocked that there was more murders. So here's my theory. His first killing focus was Josie, the child. Yeah. And he even says that, like when he saw Josie, he wanted her. Um, Ugh, but he that's also, a gross statement. Anyway. Very gross. But he also gets a lot of satisfaction from his view in the media. And after this killing, he never killed another kid. He left every kid at the scene of his crimes untouched. Why? Mm -hmm. So... Did he, um, also, he says in the, to Catherine, uh, or not Catherine, he also says to Dr. Ramsland that the reason that he didn't rape his victims is that was just too much for him. Uh, he says that even serial killers have some kind of code and for him, raping was just too much, but, but murdering wasn't, I know, right? You can't make sense <sighs> of this man if you can't make sense. Okay. But in his head, rape was too far. <laughs> Murder wasn't. Okay. Make it make sense, right? But could he have seen how the public responded to the murder of Josie and Joey, the children, and decided that in order for him to have a better quote in his head, view in the public eye, he wouldn't kill kids anymore? Could he have killed more children before this, but isn't taking ownership of it because he doesn't the want that on that They him. could have possibly been children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It tarnished his reputation. Uh-huh. 
because let's be honest, he get, he's gotten the fame that he always wanted. Like everybody talks about him. He is one of the biggest, you know, serial killers that we talk about when it comes to like it just being the man next door. You know, he was in his church. He literally took these people to church. He literally was a wolf in sheep's clothing. I don't think he used God or was a real devout, you know, religious person. I think it was his way of just making himself look better and hide the deviant side that's been in him his entire life. Because this case really leans into the nature, not nurture kind of facade. Like, could it, like, it, I feel like for him, it's definitely nature. Yeah. And I think, I, do you know if he grew up religious at all? Yeah. He yeah. did? Okay. He grew up religious. Mm-hmm. I mean, <sighs> so it could point to like the close, like, I mean, guys, people who are religious, you guys have a lot of vanilla sex. You don't branch out. <laughs> you don't walk into a sex store. Kink shame like crazy. So like, could it possibly tangentially be related to the fact that like he wasn't able to explore his desires and like BDSM and things like that in a consensual loving partner way maybe but we also have to remember he got off being tied up and playing cowboys and indians and he peeping he was a peeping tom to his fifth grade teacher you know so i'm like it's all the the childhood sexualization for me where it's like i'm not convinced that this person wasn't sexually molested or didn't see a sexual act right like something he doesn't confess to it, which he's very narcissistic. And so narcissistic people want to control the narrative. And so... They don't want to be a victim. Could he have just let that out? They, yeah. they don't. Could he, half the time, they don't want to be the victim in that way. No. If they're going to be a victim, it's got to be something uh-huh. more, I don't the, know, beautiful, romantic. The only time, the only time that he felt any kind of remorse or regret was when... Uh, was that like he he regretted there wasn't more victims. And when he felt like a victim, he it was when his plans were going wrong, when the people weren't coming home in time or when they Catherine showed up with her man. brother, Kevin. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, oh, like I'm the victim because my plan's not going right. Or you checked the floppy disk. <laughs> <laughs> you, you what? We were so close. (laughs) I I just can't imagine being the cop in that interrogation room, being asked that question and just looking at him like, do I really need to answer that fucking question right now? I feel like it would have taken everything of me not to pinch him on the arm. Be like, Uh, let me do what your grandma never did. (laughs) No. Elbow to the face. Uh. Pinch. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That is... Case number one for our spooky season, serial killer themed true crime cases, right? Hey, everyone. Okay, so this is post-recording Lacey and Lola coming at you with a PS series. Lola came up with that name, and I like that. It's a PS series. Yeah, we have an update on BTK, which I'm pretty sure you guys did not see that coming because we didn't. Um, A couple days after we recorded that episode... We found out that uh, BTK is the number one suspect in two more murders that have been tied back to him with evidence that is tying back to him. 
it's still under investigation. And so there's not, you know, definitive proof yet, but they have gone so far as to search one, maybe two, I can't remember, one or two of his previous residences. And the girls that are, uh, had gone missing, and I think they were actually ended up found murdered, was Cynthia. I was going to say, are these found people or still missing? They were missing at first and then found murdered, if I'm understanding this correctly. You know who uh, they are? Cynthia Yes, Cynthia Kinney is one. And then Shauna Beth Garber. So they were, it doesn't tell me when Cynthia went missing, but, oh yeah, it does. Okay, Oklahoma, she went missing in Oklahoma in 1976. And then Shauna went missing in Missouri in December of 1990. So, yeah, I I feel like it being, especially the Missouri one, is pretty close to him. So I feel like they, I feel like they probably have some pretty strong evidence if they're coming out and making a public statement saying, hey, so like BTK is under suspicion um, and being one of the number one suspects for these other two murders uh, from back in the day. And his daughter, Carrie, has actually been helping in the investigators. And she has gone back and talked to her father in prison to try to get more information and try to help the investigators. And she had, yeah, she had actually made a comment of something along the lines of like, this is just the beginning kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's more than oh my God. what's probably being shared at this moment. So oh we might have a PS of a PS series on BTK, but we just thought we'd jump in here and tell you guys that. So wow. anyways, back to the original recording. So let's end on a, on a palate cleanser because that is BTK. So what do, what do we want to end on here, Lola? Here's, here's the good news today. An unloved English field is restored to a beautiful brook as part of a large project to glorify River Ise. I-S-E. Oh. This is, this is in uh, England's county of Northamptonshire? Northamptonshire? I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Shire? Shire? I think it's Shire. Shire, okay. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's uh, now been restored. It uh, It used to just be a field that had no value and it was seen as something to be built onto, but now it's been restored to a wetland meadow and it will become a haven for biodiversity and an engine for clean water and green recreation. Hell yeah. Look at them combating fucking climate change and global warming. Yeah. Good job. Also, I changed the background on my phone. So now it's more spooky and that just really puts me in a good mood. <laughs> I know. I saved, I saved a background to my phone. I'm like, oh, it's spooky season. I'm- See, I don't, I love spooky season. I love the weird, gory makeup. Mm-hmm. I hate horror films. I'm scared to death of everything. Yeah. I Oh, same. I don't watch horror films. Good. They're, they get, no. I watched one not too long ago that like, but it was like, oh, that was a little, that was a little too much. I had some weird fucking dreams that night. <laughs> I tell you, I, I love the like, the happy spooky, like the smiling yeah. pumpkins and the happy ghost with the candy bag and the like, nineties nostalgia kind of Halloween right. stuff. I don't. I like the witch. Yeah, I like the witch vibe or like the morbid vibe. Yes, and, but but I don't. Okay, for whatever. 
whatever you do, don't dress your kids up as a fucking serial killer. Okay, do God not. damn it. No, don't do that in general. Don't, I don't care who you are, what you are. Don't fucking age. do that. Do not you do that. You dress them up as Scream, the, the character, or Michael Myers. Go for it. Those are all fake people. Don't dress them up as a real goddamn serial killer. Yeah. No, don't do that. Stupid. Get better idols. God. As Bailey Therian would say. Yeah, get better idols. My quote, my palate cleanser. Bailey Therian. <laughs> my palate cleanser is that I worked on my office this week. I, I got a new rug. Her office is I got a so new good. Chair. It is so cute. It's just this tiny little corner in my room. I have a shed that's going to be turned into my office. It's enough for now. But that takes money and I'm broke as a bitch. So uh, right now, this is great. I love it. You know, my king size blanket you know, hanging up as I record to get away from the echoes. You know, it works. She has a more we professional are, background than we myself. We are doing so. it. We are vibing professional. It is a blanket. It is a and you know what's behind me? Costco blanket. My closet a door. Wall. <laughs> Anyways, we have taken up a lot of your time. Yes. So we are going to end there. So we'll see you guys next week. Lola is presenting and I'm so excited. Come back for more spooky talk because I don't know a lot of this stuff. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. We love you guys. Don't love be a dick. You. Don't murder people and don't join a cult. We're here. We're queer and the end is not near. Yes. <laughs> Stay fucking hydrated. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Also, heathens, if you're enjoying the show so far, please remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us on and remember to bring your sacrifice to the blood ritual. Just kidding. A review will suffice. Deadly Faith is brought to you by Choircast Network. It's produced by Lacey Bean and Lola Robbins and audio engineered by Eric Cowell. Thanks for listening.